pray for each of us that your just that your presence would remain with us, Father, and that you would increase our sensitivity to you and increase um, Pastor Josh's sensitivity to you. That you would just anoint um, his lips to speak all the things that you've prepared for him to speak. And um, just thank you for being with us. Amen. 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 That was a good prayer. I was enjoying watching the daughters of this house dancing during worship. And I was thinking to myself how beautiful that is that we, first of all, you know, anytime you see the third part of a generation worshiping in the same house, that seems like a good thing. That seems like heritage, doesn't it? That's exciting. And then the other part that I liked was that it was worship and they're, you know, they're twirling around and they're dancing and they're worshiping the Lord and celebrating an atmosphere where God is being honored. And I thought, I like that a lot better than sit still, you're in church. <laughs> now, now is the time to sit still and be in church, so that applies for all of you. But during worship, I really liked that part. <laughs> I think God is, is, he's just, he's a lot of fun. He's a lot of fun. If he wasn't, I don't think he'd be God. I think by definition, a, a good God is going to be a lot of fun, isn't he? There's joy in his house. There's joy in his people. And uh, so I was just delighting over that. We've got some beautiful daughters in this house. Well, I have a lot to cover today. So Lord Jesus, help me that I do this in a beautiful, timely, and non-repetitive way. Start with a story. Any story that has ham in it is a good story. It's a good story right there. Thank you, Jesus. Okay, so it was, uh, it's Easter Sunday, and there's this family, the Smiths. And um, the Smiths, they're a tight family. They've been together for quite some time, and the, and the, uh, and the Smiths are, are sitting down. I'm sorry, they're preparing for Easter dinner. And mom says to the daughter, uh, Susie Smith, I know, not very creative with the names, but Susie Smith, she says, Susie, this year, uh, why don't you go ahead and you can prepare the, the Easter ham. And so Susie, she's pretty excited. You know, that's a big deal. So she, 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 does the, she does it up. She says, no problem, mom. I got it handled. Don't even worry about it. I've been, I've been part of this family a long time. I know just what to do. So she, she, she handles the ham. So it's Easter dinner time now, and everybody's sitting down, and, and they pray together, and grandma's there, and mom, and dad, and the cousins, and the brothers, and the everybody, and uh, grandpa has passed on. He's with the Lord now, but grandma is still there, and she's kind of a firecracker. So they're sitting around the table, and, and, uh, and the mom says, hey, guys, you know what's cool is Susie, actually, she prepared the ham this year, and, uh, and she goes, and in fact, we're giving her the honor. She's going to go get it right now, so Susie goes in, and, and and, you know, you see her some clanging and whatnot. The oven closes, and she comes out, and she's got this beautiful platter. And on the beautiful platter is the ham. And she sets it down, and the mother looks at it like, <gasps> and everybody's kind of like, you know how it is, you know, if mom ain't happy, nobody's happy kind of moment. So I was like, ah, oh, what happened? And, uh, and the mother says, honey, you didn't prepare the ham correctly. And she's like, ah, oh, you know, and Susie's like, wah, wah, wah. so she sits it down, and, and, she, and, her, and the mother says, Susie. Why didn't you cut the ends off of the ham before you baked it? And Susie's like, I don't know. I didn't, because I didn't want to. And she goes, Susie, we always, the Smith family has always cut the ends off of the ham when they bake it. Your grandma used to do it, 
and, and I've always done it, and then I give you your first shot at it, and you forgot. And so what's the deal? And Susie says, well, Mom, why do we cut the ends off the ham? And Mom says, oh, you ask your grandma. And so she says, Grandma, why does the Smith family always cut the ends off of the ham? And Grandma says, well, when we were, when we were young, uh, when your grandpa and I, when he was still here, bless his heart, uh, then, then we actually didn't have a lot of money when your mama was growing up. Um, and so we really had very few nice dishes. And my nicest pan was a little too short for the ham. So I just cut the ends off, put them in the side, and that's why we did it. I have no idea why your mother cuts the ends off of the ham. <laughs> <laughs> Context is important. It's amazing. There's a lot of different things that we do that are just simply what we've been taught, and, and which is totally wonderful. I'll tell you another story. I remember when I was, I think I was in fourth grade. Fourth grade? Yes. Yes. Fourth grade. I'm going to agree with myself. You weren't there. I can lie to you. Um, so <laughs> don't you love it? I'm always making those jokes about being honest and lying. It is so stupid of me. Okay, anyway, I'm in the fourth grade, and I remember the teacher said to me, children, I want to tell you something today, students. Everything that you know at this point is simply what your parents have taught you. And I remember being furious that day because I was like, well, one, I was kind of like, what is the purpose of that statement? But it goes a lot of different directions, doesn't it? Like, and, and what? Now you're going to teach me the real truth? Um, definition of what's true is like is it based on that they that you're going to teach me something else is it that the things that can be known are simply what have been taught but it doesn't mean anything what you should know is based on who's teaching it I mean my mind went a bunch of different directions but I remember being furious with the teacher because I felt like what the teacher was implying is that what my parents taught me may or may not have been right or wrong and it was a terrifying thought and of course as you guys know uh, fear oftentimes turns immediately into anger. And that's okay, that's natural, it's fight or flight. For me, I'm kind of a fight kind of guy, so I was like, really? Well, if it's just about, if people just can teach whatever they want, then how about I just don't listen to you? Because how do I know what you have to say is what I want to know? You know, that was kind of where I went with it. But the point was, in that moment, I had this sense of, of, uh, of it, it threatened my security, it threatened my foundation, because it was like, my teacher is telling me that the only things I know are what my parents have taught me. In other words, you may not be thinking for yourself yet, which at fourth, you know, as a fourth grader, I mean, I did think for myself occasionally, it usually didn't work out well, but I was practicing, and so I was a little insulted by that. But it also shook me up a little bit because I was thinking to myself, what if, what if my mom is teaching me something that isn't true, and since my mom and dad are the foundation, they're the, they're the bedrock of what I, of what I know and the, and the sense of stability and what's true and right with the world, and they're teaching me things, and what, what happens if, if they don't know everything? Does that mean everything in my life is a house of cards? What if, what if some of the things they're teaching me aren't actually dead on? Does that mean everything that they've taught me isn't dead on? So, I mean, you can see, you, you see where I'm, I was shook up. Just thinking back on it, just somebody pray for me. No, um, so it, it really got me thinking. Though, is it is it okay if maybe they did make some mistakes along the way? And for anybody here who's a parent and has two more than one kid, you totally made mistakes with the first ones, didn't you? The second one, you're like starting to learn a thing or two. The first one is just like that's why Autumn got into inner healing. <laughs> I'm having a great day so far. 
I'm having fun. I, this might be like Josh's day at church. You know, I don't know why you guys are here. It's for me. All right. But the point is, is there room for us to have learned some things, but then to find out, you know what, that's just, we've just always done it that way. Grandma had a reason for why she said, hey, make sure you cut the ends off of the ham to mom. But mom never asked what the context was. And so then mom continued to teach her granddaughter then, and, had just, and she just continued on in habit. Didn't, you don't even have to think about it. I need to tell you one more, one more piece here before we move forward. The way that God created our minds, we have a very amazing structure in our minds. And um, they're, they're such, they're so, we live in such an, an incredible time because they can do mind mapping now. They can look at what parts of your brain are employed at what time and then where they start storing information. And I'm, I'm going to give you a very fast uh, uh, Snippet. Thank you. I couldn't even get to snippet. I'm glad Doug's here. I love it when you're around. Snippet. What a good word <laughs> of the science here. But uh, if you want to read up some more on it, there's a wonderful book um, by uh, Duhigg called The Power of Habit. And you can read some more about it. Fascinating book. But I'm just going to give you the, the highlights here. The bottom line is the way that God created you is your mind, when you're first learning to do something, the whole thing is lit up like a Christmas tree. Your whole brain is like, okay, we got to do this. We, let's use backing up a car as an example. Remember the first time you backed up a car? I mean, seriously, raise your hand and just kind of go, ha, 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 You kind of remember, you're just thinking back to the, woo. And, and, you, and you remember, you just felt like, what is this? Like, this is horrifying. You're checking mirrors. You're like, nothing correlates. You, you feel like everything's backwards. You know, you're like, I thought the car was supposed to go. What's going on? You know, and, 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 and it was scary. But now, now you back up the car. You're like putting on lipstick, drinking coffee on the phone, talking to the kids, yelling, sensing there's a bike stopping, you know, the whole deal. You don't even think about it. You don't even think about it. You just whip right out, whoop, and away you go, and you don't have to think about it. The reason why you don't have to think about it is because the way that God designed our minds is it does something called, they actually call it this, chunking. It's called chunking. And what happens is God give, has given you the ability that once you practice something enough, your brain begins to categorize that as a chunk of information. It's a habit that you will repeat without having to engage all the rest of your mind. You no longer engage your critical thinking skills in that place because you've created a habit. You've actually, uh, you've got a program now that that's just how it's done. You do, think about how hard you have to think when you back up now. Not at all. Second nature. Same thing with brushing your teeth. Second nature. All of us have routines. And the beauty of it is God gave us routines. They're a gift. He said, didn't he say, raise your children up in the way they should go, and when they're old, they will not depart from it? Well, he happened to have known how he created you, and if you raise them with good habits, they'll stick with them. When we create new habits, we're replacing old ones with new ones, and that's how we change. But, but there does come a place where we have to begin to allow someone to say and question us, well, as painful as it may be, the teacher might say to us, at this point, many things that you do are simply the first thing that you've been told to do. You haven't necessarily examined it yet. And I want to talk a little bit about that today, because we can easily, uh, easily, we can easily, we can easily uh, adopt several things and go through the motions because we're not employing the rest of our mind to question some of those habits, question some of those beliefs, question some of those things. But I'm going to go ahead and give you a little, I'm going to spoil it just a little bit, and I want to tell you that the good news is, is that you can. 
You can. And you know what? You know what I found as I began to question some of the things that, that my mommy and my daddy taught me? They were wrong about some things. But they were right about most things. And they were right about the right things. All right? But there were some adjustments I had to make. Some of them, you know, mom would call up, oh my gosh, I've just been reading this book and I'm so sorry, I think I broke you. And uh, <laughs> everything you believe is probably tainted. I'm like, ah, oh, that feels a little strong. <laughs> just singling mom out. She actually did that. Um, but uh, <laughs> I forgive you though, mom. I got a sozo and we're good. We're totally fine now. Um, but the point was, we were able to go back and correct some of those long-held habits, those long-held beliefs, without undermining and destroying everything that I've ever known. We're wonderfully and fearfully made. We can actually make changes. In fact, I love this scripture right here. Jesus is speaking. He says, Assuredly, I say to you, unless you are converted and become as little children, you will by no means enter the kingdom of heaven. And therefore, whoever humbles himself as this little child is the greatest in the kingdom of heaven. Now, he's talking to the most intellectual, most informed, intelligent people of that place. He's talking to the Pharisees. They know the law. They know the rules. He's talking to the Sadducees and, and on and on. He's talking to the intelligentsia of his day. And he says, listen, unless you're converted and become as, this little, as little children, and the primary thing about a child is they have tons of belief and they're immensely teachable. They're just creating new habits. They're like, oh, that doesn't work. I mean, you know, you, you tell a kid something, you know, uh, I can't think of an example right now, but you tell them unquestioningly, they go, oh, well, all right, then I'll make a change. I mean, for the most part, it's not like they're like, well, that has been in my family for generations, and we don't just stop on a dime. No, they're just like, oh, really? That's not a thing? Well, okay, it's not a thing. No problem. Moving on. Okay, Jesus says, look, you got to be teachable. you got to be willing to look at something. And when I confront your culture, when I confront some of your backdrop, when I confront some of those things that you're now chunking on, I just need to do this. Okay, then you have to be able to humble yourself like a child and go, oh, maybe I misunderstood that. I thought that you had to cut the ends off the ham. I think it says it in the Bible. Cuttest thou off. Oh, it says not to even eat ham. I like context. <laughs> Jesus, thank you. You know, I consistently tell people, and if, you're, if you don't eat pork, that's really, that's really fine, but this is just me being playful. I hope I don't stumble anybody. But at any rate, I, I really do love the part where God make all, made all the animals clean. Remember the vision? And it came down and said, do not call unclean what I call clean. And I'm like, yes. And so sometimes I'll run into somebody and they'll be like, oh, I, I don't eat bacon. I don't eat pork. And I'll be like, oh, I don't know. I kind of feel like you're not taking the full advantage of what Jesus did for us. <laughs> I mean, I'm not saying you don't love him. I'm just saying there's more. <laughs> We're a little charismatic here, but most time when I'm like, more Lord, I mean like bacon. <laughs> I also want more of the Lord. But I digress. All right. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to share another story, and this one's horrifying, so, uh, so here we go. This is the mutual relation of masters and slaves as taught in the Bible of discourse preached in the First Presbyterian Church, Augusta, Georgia, 1861. You guys got really quiet. If Paul 
or rather the great God, speaking by his inspired lips, meant to confine his evangelical teachings to a state of things wholly unlike that under which we live, then this portion of, portion of Scripture is to us a dead letter and can have no influence upon our consciences or conduct. He's talking about Ephesians. If we preach from it at all, therefore, it must be employed for the practical benefit of hearers now as much as when the Ephesian church opened their ears and hearts to its reception. And in truth, in the suggestions of this very thought, there is a remote scriptural plea to be found for the divine sanction of slavery. He's taking from where it says, Submit yourself, therefore, one to another, wives to your husbands. Husbands, care for your wives and die for them as Christ died for the church. Children, submit to your, your parents. Fathers, don't exasperate your children. Submit one to another in all things. And then he goes on to say, Slaves, submit to your masters. And this pastor is saying, Agreed. It would seem that insomuch as the Bible was intended for all times and all ages and not for one period in a single country, the fact that it gives directions as plain and full and forcible for the regulation of domestic service as it does for defining and limiting the marital, parental, and filial relations in families furnishes an inferential proof of the proposition that everywhere such service ought to be as universal as such higher and tenderer relations that no household is perfect under the gospel, which does not contain all the grades of authority and obedience, from that of a husband and wife down through that of a father and son to that of a master and servant. Accordingly, we do find as a matter of historical fact that among all people during all periods of time, there have been those in every family whom the very law of necessity itself has made servants to the others. Servants, if not always in the rigid sense which slavery seems to imply, yet in a sense sufficiently obvious and strict. Go where you will, visit what family you may, and you will find members of the household under some law which requires them more, which requires them more than the others to perform menial services for all the little community. Isn't that sweet? This is beautiful gospel. The hireling, the wife, the eldest child, the dependent stranger may be the voluntary or involuntary doer of offices which must fall to the lot of someone. I need not point to you the manifold illustrations of this idea which appears in all conditions of human society, even in those which are most favored, even in those from which come the most heated denunciations of slavery, which, existing among us, differs at best from their own era more in degree and form than essential qualities. There must be such inequalities in society. And whenever an attempt has been made to remove them, whenever radicalism has proposed to smooth down all the individuals in the family or other community to a common level, as in the experiments, experiments of Fourierism, which once excited so much attention in the world, it was found that a fundamental law had been transgressed and failure inevitably attended such unscriptural and disorganizing attempts. God has evidently made one to serve another. The simple question is, what must be the nature of this service? And the answer is that, in, in, is that its nature depends upon circumstances. Out of this answer springs the interrogation. Has God ever shown us that there are circumstances under which involuntary service may be required and yielded on the part of masters and slaves? Has he ever declared this kind of service to be right and lifted its existence entirely above the charge of sinfulness? Are we at full liberty to carry to him upon the arms of our faith our households and as confidently ask him to bless our servants as our children? 
does this great, beneficial, civilizing institution of slavery, I just need to read that again because it makes me want to throw up, does this great, beneficial, civilizing institution of slavery live beneath the light of his face with no fault to be found with upon the part of his infinite holiness? except when and wherein it may suffer abuse at the hands of the parties concerned. Surely the Bible is clear enough upon this point to satisfy the most sensitive conscience. Light cannot shine with greater brightness than does the doctrine of the sinlessness. Nay, than does the doctrine of the righteousness of an institution, which besides being sustained and promoted by a long course of favorable providences, besides being recognized as a prime conservator of the civilization of the world, besides being one of the colored man's foremost sources of blessing, is likewise directly sanctioned by both the utterance and the silence of Scripture. Terrible, absolutely terrible. And the truth is, every argument that this man took, he took from the scripture itself with no value of the context of what God did in the Garden of Eden until he brought freedom and began the advance of the kingdom of heaven by the, light, by the death and resurrection of Jesus Christ. But he takes out of context the story of God with man and applies to his own ends and to his own desires and to his own culture that the scripture itself should bow to his prejudices rather than become like a child and say, Lord, as Abraham Lincoln said, we cannot love our neighbor and at the same time make our living by the sweat of another's brow. That being said in the second inaugural address, after the Civil War, saying, could this not be the judgment of God upon a nation who enslaves his own brothers? It's sobering, isn't it? It's sobering what we can do when we feel righteous about applying the Scriptures in a way that is outside of the context of a benevolent Father who has made us in His image. Genesis 5 says this. This is the written account of Adam's line. When God created man, he made him in the likeness of God. He created them male and female and blessed them. And listen to this. And when they were created, he called them Adam. He called them man. It says man if you have your NIV Bible, but the word, the root word is Adam. Every time you see man in that beginning, it's Adam. And he made them in his image, male and female, Adam. And we know, of course, that he took the rib out of Adam. We talked about that last week, and I want to come back to that. But I realized that this day I needed to talk a little bit about, is it okay for us to make adjustments? Did you know that self-examination and humbling ourselves underneath the mighty hand of God and allowing the constructive criticism in light of the scriptures themselves has long been solely championed, not solely, but I'm sorry, primarily championed by the church, that we would allow ourselves to adjust, that we would come to the standard of God rather than cause the standard of God to come down to a cultural and traditional level. In fact, Jesus, when he walked the earth, what did he say? You're teaching merely rules taught by men. This to the absolute professionals of the scripture at that time. Could it be that we too could allow ourselves to try to take the scriptures themselves and make them bow to the traditions of our own ham-end-cutting ways. Frederick Douglass, one of the civil rights champions of his day, 
says this, I have all my days been accustomed to prayer in connection with slavery. My master was a praying man, the man who claims to own these hands and who has bound himself almost with the solemnity of an oath that if ever again I set my feet on American soil, he's speaking in England at this time, I shall be a slave. That man prays at morning, noon, and nights, and I have seen him tie up by the hands a female cousin of my own and lash her with a cowskin till the warm blood trickled at her feet, and all the while saying, the slave that knoweth his master's will and doeth it not shall be beaten with many stripes. Quoting Jesus. That's Jesus' quote. Saying, be faithful with what I've told you. He continues, I know the prayers of slaveholders. I have been the slave of religious and irreligious slaveholders. And I bear my testimony that next to being a slave at all, I regard the greatest calamity to be that of belonging to a religious slaveholder. I have found them the most mean, the most exacting, the most cruel. This is a starting position, but it is true as far as my experience is concerned. I know not how to explain it, but such is the fact. The religious slaveholders are the most tenacious of slavery. Why? Because we have the word of God to defend in our own self-righteousness, to impact upon another my cultural view. And you are not resisting me when you disagree at that point in my estimation, but rather you resist God. And so with vehemence and anger, I attack you with the word. And I tell you, the Lord is on my side. He will vindicate me. Thank you, Jesus, that such things do not continue in this great nation. Father, we are no greater than those who misapplied your scripture. We simply do it in other ways. May we not congratulate ourselves as though we have vindicated this great nation when you, Lord, through your mercy and the blood of a civil war brought freedom in a place where we pointed to your word and tried to justify it as though it were your institution and desire. Forgive us, Lord. May we, with the same passion, apply our lives to say, God, bring revelation to my heart where my tradition crushes the human spirit. And I claim, and I quote, from your word to defend it. In John, he says, John 5, 38, but you do not have his word abiding in you. He's speaking to the people who are criticizing Jesus. They're saying, we don't believe in you. We don't, this is crazy talk. You're not the Messiah. We don't like what you have to say. You are threatening our power position. And he says to them, you don't have his word abiding in you because whom he sent, him you do not believe. You search the scriptures for in them you think you have eternal life. And these are they which testify of me. This is Jesus speaking but you're not willing to come to me that you may have life. I do not receive honor from men, but I know you that you do not have the love of God in you. How do we know that we have the love of God in us? We apply the kingdom of heaven in line with the spirit and the intention of the Father as demonstrated through Jesus himself. And what did Jesus do? Well, that's a pretty big subject. I don't think I can cover that. But I could say this. 
He said, I have come in my Father's name, and you do not receive me. If another comes in his own name, you'll receive him. How can you believe who receive honor from one another and do not seek the honor that comes from the only God? And so here's the catch for us. Many of us are still trying to honor one another. We're trying to honor traditions. We're trying to honor those things that have become spiritual chunks for us. And we're just chunking. We're just chunking. I remember when I first got married, the first time that my wife so ridiculously and foolishly crossed me. And I remember just, just being astonished, you know, because I remember the vows. You promised to love and <laughs> obey me. And I said the words. I'm embarrassed, but I said it. I said, Karen. <laughs> you disobeyed me. And uh, <laughs> it's a long time ago, baby. It's a long time ago. And I remember her looking at me like, I mean, I could see her like going, I love this man. And I could probably pray him back after I kill him. <laughs> because the Bible also says that he'll lay his life down for me like Christ. So I'm going to kill him. And then I'm going to obey. And if God counts his cause righteous, he'll bring him back from the dead. But I remember her looking at me and just being like hurt, patronized, confused, and just being like, and, and I don't know, she said something brilliant. I wasn't paying attention. Um, I was too busy getting my Bible. Um, no. I remember that it dawned on me as the words came out how hideous and ridiculous they were. I, I really do. I was actually just as surprised as her. I was like, <laughs> you know, when you do that, <laughs> <laughs> so I, I was, it was a bad moment. It was not a good moment. It was early on. But I remember it dawned on me like, this doesn't work. And at that point, I want to I admit to you, at that point, I didn't understand how to contextualize the writings of Paul and the, and the actual revelation of the kingdom of heaven on earth now. Because I actually felt like it contradicted what I thought the scripture, the, the way that I thought the scripture was to be applied. And so I thought like, oh man, how am I going to defend the Bible? You know, because God's pretty, he's kind of a wuss. I've got to do this. I've got to handle these things for me, for him. But at the same time, this is crazy. Like really, I get to just command my wife to do things? Like I know that doesn't work in real time. So how do I do this? And you know what I did is I, I said, you know what, Karen? I'm sorry. <laughs> Let's pray. That was it right there. Selah. That was the sermon. No. I said, I I'm really sorry. I guess I thought that we had agreed that we were going to do this. And she said, listen, I don't think that I'm supposed to be your child. I'm your wife. And we can agree upon something and accomplish it. But I'm never going to be up for you to give me commands. And I knew that she was right. And I'm excited now, well, I mean, we've been practicing this for years, but I'm excited now to talk about some of these things because here's the problem. In the house of God, we have been the last to recognize that God made man in his image, male and female. We were the last, many of us in the church, were the last to recognize that slavery was wrong. 
It's not that far-fetched that we would completely miss out and misunderstand that women can actually lead. You go outside and you have some of the most powerful CEOs, inventors, governors, representatives, teachers, superintendents, absolutely thriving as Deborah did in the Old Testament, a judge of all of Israel. And yet we point to scriptures and take them out of context and say, but I don't suffer that you should ever teach a man. Which apparently means when your son turns 13, just start doing what he says. Because the scripture considers a 13-year-old having entered manhood. I'm just saying we have to dig a little bit deeper than to take these scriptures and try to dominate and dictate that God doesn't want half of his personality in any form of actual authority to lead others. He wants salvation with one hand tied behind his back, apparently. And I know that's not what the case is. But when we grab these scriptures and we apply them out outside of context, we can easily end up in this same place and even feel benevolent about it with righteous indignation. And so I just want to say this. Jesus promises. I'm going to, I'm going to skip to his promise here at the end. Oh, come on now. There we go. Okay, I love this. This is our safety. Because I know for some of you, this is really easy to accept. For some of you, you're like, I kind of always thought this, and so this is just great. This is a really nice message. For others of us, we've actually been raised and have done our best to defend these scriptures and try to make peace to apply them as best as we could. And we grew up our whole lives cutting the end off the ham. And we grew up our whole lives believing that, yes, in heaven, we'll all be the same. But for right now, God just happened to have you were born a slave and I was born a master. And so anyway, make lemonade. Literally, go make me some lemonade. So, you know, there was, we've grown up with that and we've really felt like we could defend that position. In fact, we actually thought God was asking us to defend the position. And in that, we've even taken some hits. We've been persecuted for it. And, and, tr and, tr and in truth, we deserved it. But it was actually in our passionate ignorance that we were defending these things in a way God wasn't asking us to. And so there's a real sense of betrayal when these things get talked about for those of us that have grown up that way because it's like, are you telling me I misunderstood this my whole life? I have felt like the idiot in every debate on this. I've done my best to defend it. I've actually thought that people were persecuting me because I was trying to follow God. And now I'm finding out that's not even how it works. That's not an easy pill to swallow. And I honestly, I want to say this. I want to say this. Ooh, this is going to, okay, you guys got to, ooh, I'm kind of scared. <laughs> the Lord wants you to know that he actually honors your willingness to obey him up to your level of misunderstanding. I'm sorry, to obey you up to your level of understanding, though you were misunderstanding big parts of this. The Lord honors those of you Although you were misapplying his scripture, he does honor the earnestness of your heart that you were willing to be persecuted for what you thought he was telling you to do. And he honors you for that. You weren't, you weren't going out with a cruel heart and trying to dominate women. You're not some horrible monster that's going around trying to keep the, keep the women down or something like that. You were actually trying to apply what you'd been taught. You were dutifully and with love in your heart, lovingly cutting the ends off the ham. And giving God the glory. And the Lord honors that part. 
But today, we must become like children. And we must be willing to examine our ways and say, Lord, then show me how to move forward. And I want to tell you the good news. In the same way that when, when the Lord comforted my heart in fourth grade as I, as I realized that everything I'd known up to this time was everything my, my parents had taught me and having to examine, like, what if my parents taught me something that was wrong? Does that mean everything is wrong? No. No, everything's not wrong. Most of what we've learned is actually beautiful and good and right, but there have been some things we've learned that were wrong. And in the same way that for hundreds of years, really thousands of years, slavery was accepted as an institution God wanted to keep, I don't think anyone in this house would defend that we should bring slavery back. We laugh at that, but slavery is in the same book of Ephesians as is some of the major scriptures that we use to say that women can't lead. And yet, you don't see people going, and also, slaves, obey your masters. You just don't hear it anymore. It's like, oh, we figured out that was crazy talk. But we still have a lot of men that are like, wives, you need to submit. And you don't hear the men saying, you don't hear a lot of men saying to each other, dude, if you just hurry up and die, your marriage would get good. That part's really quiet at this point for some reason. You just don't hear that big of a slogan on that. I may have gone on a little bunny trail. Let me get back. Here's the good news. Here's the good news. God honors your heart. He sees the sincerity of your heart. But it is time for us to humble ourselves like children. And here's the promise. Here's the reason why for those of us that this is a little freaky. This is why it's going to be okay. Number one. We're not going down the direction of saying, oh, God's scripture, can we can just apply it however we want. No, no, no. This scripture actually tells us we can't do that. No, we are not going to start deciding that same-sex marriage is okay. You don't see it in the Garden of Eden. It's not okay today. It's not okay today. All right? We're not, we're not going to start taking scriptures and making them apply to pop culture. That's not what we're doing. But we are going to apply God's heart to our heart and our culture And in this place of of recognizing, it's almost embarrassing to talk about outside of the church, this subject, because other people are like, really, you're just now noticing that women can lead well? I mean, seriously, but in here, it's it's like everything shifts, and it's like, but I've I've got my my Bible, and I I don't, I mean, I don't necessarily do it in my marriage, because that ruins everything, but pretty sure it tells me I should be. No, you guys didn't catch that one. Okay. What does this scripture say? Jesus said to him, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. If you'd known me, you would have known my Father also. And from now on, you know him and you've seen him. All right, so Jesus says this. He makes this statement. I am the way, the truth, and the life. Okay? Now this next scripture, equally encouraging. I'm skipping a little down. That's at verse 25, but he says this. But the Helper, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, he will teach you all things and bring to remembrance all things that I said to you. Peace I leave with you, my peace I give to you. Not as the world gives do I give to you, so let not your heart be troubled, neither let it be afraid. You are not going to get deceived. As long as you continue to connect to Jesus Christ, And humble yourself as he said that we should. He will not allow you to become deceived. So everything you've ever known isn't crumbling. 
but there are some edifices that we've tried to build into his house that are. And the Holy Spirit himself is pointing them out. But none of us will be deceived as long as we continue to say, Jesus, you are the way. You are the truth. You are the life. And you live in me. And you've given me the Holy Spirit so that I can understand these things. I'm sorry, I have one other scripture I think is really vital for us and then we can, we can land this plane. Apparently I broke everything. We've landed the plane. All right, so here we go. For what man knows the things of... Really? Really? Come on. Son. Okay, here we go. This is awesome. 1 Corinthians 2, 9 through 16. I has not seen, nor ear heard, nor has it entered into the heart of man the things which God has prepared for those who love him, such as freedom. But God has revealed them to us through his spirit, for the spirit searches all things, yes, the deep things of God. For what man knows the things of man except the spirit of man which is in him? Even so, no one knows the things of God except the spirit of God. Now we have received not the spirit of the world, but the spirit who is from God, that we might know the things that have been freely given to us by God. These things we also speak, not in words with man's wisdom, I'm sorry, which man's wisdom teaches, but with the whole, but, lama <laughs> shama. These things we also speak, not in words which man's wisdom teaches, but with, but which the Holy Spirit teaches, comparing spiritual things with spiritual. These scriptures, if we depart from dependence upon the Holy Spirit and humility before the Lord, these scriptures can be bent and twisted to absolutely justify in your mind anything you want to do. But these scriptures, if we walk humbly before the Lord and allow the Spirit of God to bring discernment, will always point us toward loving God with all of our heart loving our neighbor as ourselves, and doing all the things that Christ commanded us, and we will not be deceived. Amen? Amen. All right. I think it would be vital. Can we pass out the elements for communion? We're going to take communion today. And this morning, as we take communion, I simply want to do this. You're here because you trust in Jesus, yes? Well, he died on our behalf. He shed his blood on our behalf. He gave his life on our behalf. And he made us righteous because he loves us. And if this God who would hold nothing back is the God we serve, surely we can trust him to help us navigate from strength to strength and glory to glory. Surely we can trust him that he won't allow us to become deceived and depart from the things that he himself bought for us with his own blood. Yes? Is that reasonable? And so today as we take these elements and we remember what Christ did on the cross for us, as we do this, let's, let's ask him to give us confidence and transformation to see and understand and operate from the very heart, his, that was broken on our behalf. Because I believe the Lord wants to release confidence and peace today for all of us. And that, that's what we're meditating on. Amen? And we're going to take these elements together because we're one body. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. I want to just pray. I'm going to pray on our behalf. 
And then once the elements are, are, all, are all handed out, we'll, we'll take communion and then we'll, and then we'll go home. Father, first of all, if I've done anything in this message that distracts from it, Lord, if there's any part of me that's been cavalier and it's somehow clouded something you wanted to release, I just repent. My desire, Father, and our desire is to know you as you are. Our desire, Lord, is to please you and to bless you and to see others encounter you as you are. Lord, would you take the parts of our mind where there are chunks and we just go through the motions as a habit because it's what we've always done and we need to, we need to be transformed by the renewing of our mind, even as it says in Romans 12. And so today, Lord, as we take these elements, we know they just represent what you've done, but you directly, by your Holy Spirit, that you would transform us by the renewing of our mind. Heal the wounds, Lord, that motivate us to continue in destructive patterns because we're, we're absolutely bound to them. Heal our minds, Lord, where we've guarded things that we now realize we're wrong and it, our pride is hurt. And we don't know if we want to let go. It might be easier to just keep going the same direction. And so we're just saying, well, then will you just take the wheel? And above all, Lord, I pray that according to your power, you would open our eyes, that we would know you, that we would be enabled by your Holy Spirit to know you, the height and the width and the breadth and the depth of your love, that together, we would together be filled with your full image. that the world would know that you're good and that they would come and be a part of your body because you are good. All these things we lift before you, all these things we ask. I want you to just repeat after me. Jesus, thank you for your blood. I have sinned and fallen short of your glory. Thank you for forgiveness. I repent for all my sins. Let's take this together. Lord, this is your body broken for me. You gave yourself for me. And when you rose again, you let me become a part of your body. Thank you. Let's take it. If you need prayer or an encouraging word or healing in your body, the prayer servant team is coming up and they'd be happy to pray with you. In the meantime, I just want to thank you for the honor of getting to speak to you about the kingdom and about his words. And I am so pleased to be a part of this body. You are beautiful. Go out.
and encourage this world that there's a good God, that salvation is here today, and you could tell them all about it. Be blessed.